What's up, MLB Morning Coffee listeners? We have our first sponsor. Please welcome to the show, Sit Stay Paul. Is there a better feeling than walking through the door and seeing your dog so excited to see you? There really is nothing better than a happy, healthy dog. Sit Stay Paul, Boston-based dog treat company, focused on all natural, healthy ingredients, is dedicated to helping dogs live happier, healthier lives. At Sit Stay Paw, they treat dogs as part of the family and understand you do too. That's why they use the highest quality all-natural ingredients in each dog treat. Each recipe has been developed along board-certified veterinary nutritionists and is packed with the flavors your dog loves and the nutrition they need. Stocking stuffer ideas? Do your friends have dogs? Sit Stay Paw's Blueberry Pancake Chewies are made with real blueberries full of antioxidants, fiber, and vitamin C and K the perfect stocking stuffer dip for your friendly pooch. Their carob chip chewies are a natural sweet treat your dog will love, full of vitamins A, B, D, calcium, iron, magnesium, everything your dog needs. For the next four weeks, listeners can go to sitstaypaw.com. That's www.sitstaypaw.com. And on Facebook and Instagram, at sitstaypaw. And use code MLBCOFFEE. That's right, MLBCOFFEE. For 10% off your first order. Take a pic, throw it on the gram, get your dog on the Sit Stay Paw Instagram. Sit Stay Paw, go get your dog a treat. Now, on with the show. Ah, yes, welcome to another edition of MLB Morning Coffee from the Ocean Avenue Studios here in San Francisco, California. My name is Greg Moraz. We are brought to you by Sit Stay Paw. Go to sitstaypaw.com, enter code MLB Coffee at checkout, and receive 10% off of your first order. That's MLB Coffee at checkout to receive 10% off of your first order. Sitstaypaw.com. We have got a lot to talk about today. There is a significant amount of news that has been broken over the course of the last couple of days, and the main topic of this episode is going to be the name change for the Cleveland Indians. But I do want to get into the daily grounds, and with that, we're going to start off with the newest big free agent signing, that's James McCann to the New York Mets. So James McCann signed a four-year, $40 million contract with the New York Mets over the weekend, leaving the Chicago White Sox after two years on the south side. McCann's best season came in 2019, where he hit 273 with 18 homers and 60 RBI. Last season in 31 games, he hit 289 with seven homers and 15 runs batted in. James McCann is a guy that everybody thought would be a good backup catcher for a long time. He had his best year in Chicago in 2019 after never hitting above 264 in any of his four full seasons in Detroit. In 2016, he had 221, 253 in 2017, and 220 in 2018. Coming to the White Sox as basically a backup catcher who then turned into a starter, he was seen as a reclamation project. The big thing for the White Sox is that he was the guy that a lot of people give credit to when it came to the improvement of Lucas Giolito. However, it was pretty clear that based on McCann's performances from each of the last two seasons, including the shortened season, and the fact that the White Sox spent a lot of money on Yasmani Grandal, that McCann was going to get starters money in the offseason, money that the White Sox were not going to be willing to pay. So he goes to New York, where he'll be the starting catcher right away. The question that I have is whether or not he is really worth $40 million over four years. 
But for him, the market is going to be set where the market is going to be set. And you can't reject the fact that he is going to be a part of a team that is going to try and win now. Is he worth that money? No. Can the Mets spend that money? 100% yes. The Red Sox made a free agent signing, acquiring Hunter Renfro, who was DFA'd by the Tampa Bay Rays. Renfro had a really tough 2019 season, rather 2020 season, hitting 156. He hit eight home runs and drove in 22 runs, but he was mainly used as a platoon player in Tampa Bay. Renfro has got a lot of power. He is somebody that came over in a trade from San Diego in exchange for Tommy Pham. There were other players that were dealt in that deal. Renfro's best season power-wise came in 2019 with the Padres, hitting 33 homers, driving in 64 runs, and hitting 216 over 140 games. His previous two seasons, he hit 26 homers apiece, but Renfro's not an average guy. He hit 231 in 2017 and 248 in 2018. For a Red Sox team that's basically rebuilding at this point, this is a very low-risk signing. So good on Boston for being able to get a powerful bat for almost nothing, and he gets to stay in the division. I don't have the dollar figure on that, but if you sign a one-year deal and you just got DFA'd by Tampa Bay, it's pretty easy to assume that you're not going to get a whole lot of money. The Kansas City Royals are out here making moves. They signed Carlos Santana to a two-year, $17 million contract last week, and they got back one of their own, bringing Greg Holland back on a one-year, $2.75 million contract. Holland came back to the Royals after spending parts of 2017 through 2019 with four different organizations. He went to the Rockies in 2017, then the Cardinals and Nationals in 2018, the D-backs in 2019. Really didn't catch on anywhere except for in Washington in 2018, where he had a .04 ERA in 24 appearances over 21 and a third innings. But that was a Washington team that didn't go anywhere. Last year, Holland was able to stay healthy. In 28 appearances, he had a 1-9-1 ERA over 28 and a third innings, went 3-0, six saves for him. He had 31 strikeouts to seven walks. Hey, the Royals are going to be a team that is going to continue to get better. It is easy to understand why, given how much young pitching they have, the fact that they were willing to go out and spend on a free agent like Carlos Santana, it is pretty easy to understand why a lot of people are thinking that the Royals are going to be the 2020 version, or rather the 2021 version, of the Chicago White Sox. I think it's going to be significant. We shall see what happens with the balance of the American League Central over the next couple of years. The Twins are on the decline. The Indians are going to be in full rebuild mode. The Royals are on the rise. The Tigers are on the rise. I think the Royals are a lot closer to competing than the Tigers are. And the Royals could be an outside shot to compete for a wild card in 2021. The New York Mets have a new general manager hiring Arizona Diamondbacks assistant GM Jared Porter on Sunday. He signed a four-year contract to be the Mets GM. He has been an executive in Boston with the Cubs and with Arizona. He is immensely respected around baseball per ESPN.com and has been seen as a future GM for years. 
He won three World Series in the Red Sox front office before joining the Cubs front office, winning another one in 2016. He moved on to the senior vice president and assistant GM in Arizona in 2017. He's going to work under Sandy Alderson, who has taken charge of baseball operations under new owner Steve Cohen after Cohen purged Omar Minaya, the assistant GM, and Brody Van Wagenen, the GM of the Mets. Quote, Jared has proven himself at every level and in every position he has held, earning respect from his peers throughout baseball, Sandy Alderson said in a statement. He is deeply knowledgeable in all aspects of the game and has worked with several accomplished baseball executives. Jared is prepared for this next challenge. This is basically what you're looking at with the New York Mets. They're going the Theo Epstein model. This guy has won under Epstein in Boston. He won under Epstein in Chicago. He had a chance to carve his own path in Arizona somewhat, and now he's getting the opportunity to be the man in New York. Really solid hire by the Mets, and I think he is going to prove to be a very worthwhile asset to the Mets' plan of acquiring talent and developing talent moving forward. Finally, the Dodgers have brought back Brandon Morrow on a minor league deal. Everybody will remember Morrow for being the hot setup man in the 2017 playoffs for the L.A. Dodgers. He went and signed a two-year contract with the Chicago Cubs. He struggled mightily staying healthy and basically barely pitched at all with the Cubs. He is 6-0 with a 2.06 ERA in 45 games for the Dodgers after being promoted from AAA in the middle of that season. In 14 postseason relief appearances in 2017, Morrow allowed runs in just three of those appearances. Morrow is 36 years old, and look, he is pretty much at the end of his career Hopefully he finds an opportunity to, number one, stay healthy, and number two, thrive in what should be his final chance at the big leagues with the Dodgers. All of the best to him. Hope it works out. I'm not a Dodger fan, but Morrow is a very likable guy. So the main topic of today's episode is the name change for the Cleveland Indians that will be upcoming prior to the 2022 season. Now, the title of this episode is called The Cleveland Baseball Team, and the reason why is that, as a lot of people probably know, even if you don't follow football, the Washington football team, I don't want to say the name they were previously, but the Native American slur that they were referred to as previously, they elected they were going to change their name after the uprising of all of the social justice movements during the summer of 2020, And because they didn't want to really change any of their color schemes or have to really design a new logo or new branding, they just changed themselves to the Washington football team. That is what they're called. If you look on the Fox graphic on their games, it actually says football team below where it says their city name because they were playing the 49ers and it said Washington and then in bold letters below football team and then On the other side, it said San Francisco and bold letters below 49ers, although the second part's also a lie because the 49ers don't play in San Francisco. They play in Santa Clara, which is 50 miles outside of the city of San Francisco. And yes, I am a city resident that is very upset that they are still referred to as the San Francisco 49ers, even though they play 50 miles away. And yes, I know there are a lot of other teams that don't play directly in the city limits, but 50 miles away, come on. 10 or 15 miles, I can accept that. Maybe even 20, but 50? Please. Stop it. Okay, back to the point. When the Washington football team did this, 
they set a precedent that all other teams named after Native American symbols are going to eventually be changed. Now, there are teams that have issues with logos more than they do with actual names. I'll give you an example. The University of Illinois is known as the Fighting Illini, and the Fighting Illini had a Native American mascot, Chief Illiniwick, that would do a Native American dance at home games. Now, a lot of people saw that as being offensive, and after the 2007 season, Chief Illiniwick was retired because the NCAA said, if you keep the Illini logo and the mascot, we will not allow you to host any NCAA events, and basically, they said, okay, they got rid of the mascot, they took the mascot out of their logo because there used to be a University of Illinois logo that had the chief in it, and they have since gone to a block eye as their main logo and an orange eye in the middle of the shape of the state of Illinois as well. So there have been situations where teams have done that. Now, Cleveland actually decided that they were going to abandon Chief Wahoo. So people probably know the Chief Wahoo logo. It's the cartoon Native American that is smiling at you with the feather coming out of his hat. That was the Indians' primary logo for ages. In 2014, the Indians said they were going to make it their secondary logo and have the Block C be their primary logo. And eventually, they abandoned wearing Chief Wahoo altogether, although they still do sell Chief Wahoo hats. The biggest issue, in my opinion, with the Indian's name is that it is not honoring Native Americans. Just like the previous name for the Washington football team was a Native American slur, Indians is not a technical name for Native Americans. It is what a lot of white people refer to Native Americans as because that's what they heard from the days of Christopher Columbus and when he declared Indians when he first sailed to America back in 1492. Because they're not Indians, they're Native Americans. Columbus thought that he had landed in India, and so he thought that the people were Indians because he thought that they were in India, when in fact they were in the land that would be known as the North American continent. The problem is, is that even though Columbus was wrong, the name stuck, and that's what people refer to Native Americans as, even still to this day. Now, I think that you see a lot fewer people actually refer to them as that, but there are still a lot of people that refer to them as that. And it's a derogatory term. No question about it. And you can make the argument that Braves and Blackhawks, the names of the Atlanta baseball team and the Chicago hockey team, are also derogatory. However, people in Chicago have more of an issue with the logo, which is a cartoon Native American. And in Atlanta, they have more of an issue with the tomahawk chop, which is seen as a Native American war chant, although I can't really speak to the actual historical significance of it, but the fact that people do it at a baseball game is pretty offensive. Florida State University is the Seminoles, and they have a Native American as their main logo, but I do believe that they have the blessing of the Seminole tribe in Florida to be able to actually use that. All that being said, the Cleveland Indians put out this statement yesterday. 
The Cleveland Indians today announced our decision to begin the process of changing from our team name, Indians. Since July, we have concluded an extensive process to learn how our team name affected different constituencies and whether it aligned with our organizational values. As a result of that process, we have decided to move forward with changing the current team name and determining a new non-Native American-based name for the franchise. We believe our organization is at its best when we can unify our community and bring people together, and we believe a new name will allow to do this more fully. Team owner and chairman Paul Dolan said, quote, hearing firsthand the stories and experiences of Native American people, we gained a deep understanding of how tribal communities feel about the team name and the detrimental effects it has on them. We also spoke to local civic leaders who represent diverse populations in our city and who highlighted the negative impact our team name has had on our broader population and on underrepresented groups across the community. I am truly grateful for their engagement and input, which I found enlightening and insightful. When a sports team is aligned with its community, it unlocks the ability to unite people from different backgrounds and bring people together in support of their home team. While Indians will always be a part of our history, it is time to move forward and work to unify our stakeholders and fans through a new name. A lot of people can question why they're deciding to do this now, why they haven't done it earlier, why they decided to change away from the Chief Wahoo logo but still keep the name. I think that the events of this summer and the social justice movements in the United States during 2020 prompted the Indians to get a head start on changing their name. And a lot of people want them to go back to the Cleveland Spiders, which is what they were back in the 1930s. However, I think that there are a couple of things that need to be highlighted here. Number one, they're not changing the name immediately. So they are going to stay the Indians in 2021 and give themselves time to develop a new identity moving forward. However, having said that, I think it's a little bit strange that they decided to come out with this now when they've been thinking about it since July and not have a new team name. A lot of people are questioning, well, why don't you have a temporary name like the Cleveland baseball team, like the Washington football team did going forward into this season. There are a couple of people, I saw this on Twitter, that actually put together the same color scheme and the same fonts with the Cleveland baseball club on them. It's not that complicated. You just put the C in the middle of a baseball and you have the little archway font that says Cleveland Baseball Club or the Cleveland Baseball Team. I still want it to be the Cleveland Baseball Team so that we can have the Washington football team, the Cleveland Baseball Team, maybe eventually the Atlanta Baseball Team and the Chicago Hockey Team. I think that would be great. But the point being is that There is legitimate reason to be upset that they're not going with a temporary name now because they can keep the same color scheme. Now, there are rumors out there, and I actually think it's been said by owner Paul Dolan, that they wanted to call themselves the Cleveland Tribe, but then realized that that was way too close to the Native American moniker of Indians and figured it would be great to distance themselves from all Native American names moving forward. It's still, to a lot of people, going to be the Cleveland Indians. They'll always be the Cleveland Indians. But I think it's justifiable to be upset that they're not going with a temporary name or why they didn't change the name earlier and are instead deciding to keep the name for 2021. It really would not be that hard to become the Cleveland baseball team. The color schemes are easy. I just went over that. But at the end of the day, I think it's important to understand that this is a step in the right direction. 
lot of publications are addressing various questions about the future of the team name, why they're changing it now, what the future name could be. And I don't want to go into all of these odds on what the team name could be. I personally think they should go back to the Cleveland Spiders. A lot of people are thinking they should be the Cleveland Rocks because Cleveland has the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I don't think the Cleveland Rocks is a name that actually works, but you could come up with a pretty funny logo for that. I think they're going to keep the same color scheme. I think that they are going to go back to being the Cleveland Spiders because I think that's a classic name. It's not offensive. And actually, you could take the block C and be able to turn it into a somewhat of a spider logo. You wouldn't have to change your branding that much. I mean, if you look at the Washington football team uniforms, they look pretty much the same as the previous moniker's uniforms. The colors are the same. The main uniforms are the same. It says Washington in a different style block font on the front of the jersey. And the really cool part is that the helmets, instead of the offensive logo, they have the players' numbers on both sides of the helmet. Normally in the NFL, you only see the players' numbers on the back of the helmet. I really like the fact that they have the numbers big on the side of the helmet. I think that's really classic. That's how Alabama does it. That's how a lot of other college programs do it. I would love to see that more in the NFL. I think you can keep the same color scheme, go back to the name Spiders, and design a logo that's going to be very similar to the Block C that you have now. You don't have to change the Block C. There's very little that you have to change. The last time that a Major League Baseball team changed its nickname was when the Tampa Bay Devil Rays went to the Tampa Bay Rays. And they went to a whole different color scheme because it was that purpley, turquoisey, greeny before. And now it's more of a different shades of blue with gold and white as well. I love the Tampa Bay Rays uniforms, by the way. I think that they're absolutely fresh. But my point being is that this was long overdue. People can question why it wasn't done sooner. People can question why it's not being done now. And yeah, I think it's worth holding them to account, meaning Indians ownership, as to why they're making this announcement and not going with a temporary name. Maybe they want to do a final salute to the Cleveland Indians. Maybe they don't realize that the name is actually offensive. But for me, I look at this as a step in the right direction People can be angry that it's not more at this point, but it's a step in the right direction, and it's a step that's been needed for quite a long time. Now I look to you, Atlanta Braves. You have come out and said that the Native American community of Georgia is perfectly fine with the name. Do you want to believe that or not? I'm not so sure that they do, but again, we shall see moving forward what decisions are made in regards to the rest of Native American nicknames in pro sports and in college. But at least for now, the Cleveland Indians will be no more after the 2021 season. Going into 2022, they'll be the Cleveland. Who knows? Thanks for listening to this edition of MLB Morning Coffee here from the Ocean Avenue Studios in San Francisco, California. Have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you next time.